0: are listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast.
1: My name is Dr. Riley Kirk. I am a natural product chemist and I currently work at Smoke and All slash Profound Naturals slash Real Isolates. We must untiringly talk about
0: Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. Or upgrade your membership for only $5 and get access to our resource library that contains pretty much every bit of content we've ever produced. Plus access even more courses as well as completion certificates so you can go show off your progress to your friends and of course your prospective employers. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. And if you wanna help us spread reliable cannabis science education to the masses, pause this podcast right now, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. YouTube is the number two search engine in the world next to Google, and of course Google owns YouTube, so by subscribing to our channel on YouTube and liking our videos and sharing them, you're helping our content reach more people, furthering our mission to spread reliable cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. And finally, special thanks to the many, many people, companies, and organizations that have come together to help Curious About Cannabis become the number one trusted resource in cannabis science education. This includes organizations like The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, and many others. It means a lot that we have gathered the trust and respect of so many really incredible scientists and science-forward organizations, so go check them out and give them some love while you're at it. And now, let's get on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Jason with Curious About Cannabis. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Today, I am really, really excited to finally be sitting down with a fellow natural product scientist and cannabis educator that I've been following as long as I know that they've been making content. I'm here with Dr. Riley Kirk from Real Isolates, and you may be familiar with the Smoke & All product that they have released recently that's caused quite a buzz. Um, Dr. Kirk, thanks so much for being willing to come on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I love this podcast, and I love what you're doing for the cannabis and natural products community, and I'm excited to talk about all things nature.
0: Excellent. Yes. Thanks so much for uh, the kind feedback. I'm glad that you've uh, managed to catch some episodes. And yeah, we have a lot to talk about because your interests and my interests overlap in a ton of ways, not just in cannabis, but natural product science in general. And something I always try to do with the show is shine light, not just on cannabis, but how understanding the science of cannabis can help us understand the science of other interesting medicinal plants, how understanding the endocannabinoid system can help us understand how other medicinal plants affect the body, etc. So I think we have a ton um, to dive into. So this should be really interesting. And um, we'll see how far we spin out in the hour. um, But I know there's plenty of directions we can go. Um, To start us out, um, we'll start at the, the classic place to start, which is how did you find yourself caught up in cannabis science? I know you, you, know, you have a natural product science background. You're a natural products chemist. Um, but where did your journey with cannabis really um, start to kick off, and how did you find yourself with uh, real isolates and working on smoke and all?
1: Sure. Yeah. So my journey with cannabis, I guess, officially started when I was 14 years old and I started using cannabis and (laughs) it just reacted so well with my body. And I really never stopped using it after Like I've been using it essentially since I was 14 years old. So You know, after I graduated from undergrad, I kind of didn't know what to do with my life, um, like a lot of people don't. And I kind of just worked at a biotech company outside of Boston uh, as an immunology scientist. As I was working there, I was like, man, I'm kind of just doing what a robot could do. Like, I don't really love what I'm currently doing. So I wanted to have just a little more control, a little more creativity. So I started looking into these different grad programs, but I wasn't just gonna go to grad school to go to grad school. Like I was very adamant about being very specific. If I was gonna go to a program, it's gonna be something that I really wanna do. And eventually after I'm searching all these different keywords, I find this word pharmacognosy. Which uh, yes. kind of breaks down to the knowledge of pharma because it was the first field of you know ph- pharmaceutical sciences ever because back when they were first discovering which plants were bioactive, all they had was plants and fungi. They didn't have actual mm. drugs and, and drug sciences at that time. So I kind of go down this absolute rabbit hole looking into this word, looking further into it, looking at different programs, you know, do I want? to get a master's, do I want to get a PhD, et cetera, et cetera. And actually somebody I was working with at the time at this biotech company, they said, oh my gosh, my daughter's boyfriend is in a natural products program at the University of Rhode Island. I'll connect you guys. You guys can talk, you can hang out, whatever. So I went down to URI and I spoke with him. He was incredibly informative. I spoke with all the different people um, that were part of that program the different grad students to different professors and I was like wow I I definitely could see myself going here so it was the only school I applied to I just one school I was like hey if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out (laughs) I mean I I don't know if that was a sign of like do you actually want to go but I I did apply I got in that was great (laughs) um and then through my time in grad school, I was studying um, dozens and dozens of different medicinal plants. Um, the URI has a medicinal plant library or a garden mm-hmm. outside. And you know part of my dissertation was studying that garden and the different plants and the different uh, medicinal compounds that are produced by those plants in that garden. But where cannabis comes into play here is uh, towards the end of my grad school journey, you or I started a um, a medicinal cannabis kind of a certificate program and they needed a teaching assistant for it. Nobody knew anything about cannabis except me because I had researched it just in my own time and I've done a little bit of work with CBD and hemp during grad school. And anytime cannabis came up in grad school, everyone's like Riley, because everyone knew I smoked weed. Like it was very, very obvious. I present myself as a stoner and that's fine. Um, (laughs) so I got chosen as like the TA for that course. And as I'm kind of working through and, you know, helping teach these courses, it kind of frustrated me how much money they were charging for these courses, because I think Mm -hmm. everyone should be able to have this information of how cannabis interacts with the body, especially from like a a higher education, if that's what you're looking for. And it was charging a lot of money. It really wasn't accessible to anyone. And um, so kind of during the time that the pandemic started, I was like, I'm going to start a TikTok channel and I'm going to make educational content about cannabis. And it wasn't like I was not like regurgitating the stuff from uh, the course. I was just doing things that I thought were the most interesting, the most relevant pop in your head. Yeah, exactly. And and honestly, as a like a harm reduction strategy, too, because, you know, I've tried a bunch of different things. Some went really well for me and some I was like, ooh, I'm never doing that again. And I want to share that with people so they don't have bad experiences with cannabis or other natural products, and they can go into using them um, with a little more confidence and just feeling that, like they have some sort of background. Or if uh, you know their parents or their grandparents or their friends kind of ask them questions about cannabis, I want them to be able to talk about the endocannabinoid system, talk about how these molecules interact with your body, and kind of just... Give them tools to succeed when discussing yeah. with people, discussing with anyone about cannabis and, and natural products, because it is legitimate science, but uh, the communication tools need to be there or it's difficult.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And <clears throat> it's interesting. Uh, yeah, so I've seen some of the same things. You know, these, There's a lot of schools right now um, popping up that are building cannabis science programs of one sort or another. And you're right that there's a a huge um, kind of disconnect because I think there's a big disconnect in how education as a whole works, Um, but particularly in higher education, the cost, you know, it's all indexed off of assumptions that, well, these students, they have student loans, they're already paying, you know, um, this money anyway, so we can charge um, $600, $1,000, $2,000, whatever, um, a credit um, and... Someone's paying it, whether the government's paying it, a loan provider's paying it. Someone will pay it, and to an extent, that's true. Um, but it's kind of fucked up, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it's a, it's a very. It, it reminds me of healthcare and the way that healthcare prices get elevated and elevated because of insurance. Um, and so there, there has been a, a, a very um, stark need for accessible um, education for sure. And I know from following you that. You jumped on TikTok and you were making all these videos. That was the first thing I ever saw. Um, I do know that you ran into trouble. Um, (laughs) It didn't take very long before you started to experience a lot of things I've experienced um, of having videos taken down, um, all sorts of issues around that. So do you mind speaking a little bit about your experience there of you know there's words that you're not supposed to type there's all sorts of 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 different things so can you shed a little bit of light on what it's like when you decide yes i do want to try to educate the masses and make this accessible But it's not quite as easy as people think.
1: No, it's not. And I didn't just run into trouble. Like, I am in trouble. I still, I'm still dealing with this. Like, (laughs) I was... You are the trouble. Yeah, I was just, I mean, I today got off of a five-day ban from TikTok from a video I posted in February. It's December, by the way. So, so something changed, but... And essentially the the algorithm changes constantly. Like sometimes I can make videos and I say, this is how THC affects your sleep cycle. Like that's fine. And then other videos, if I just say the word THC, it'll get removed or even CBD or hemp or cannabis, any of them um, Mm -hmm. will get removed regardless if it's just strictly educational or not. Like. It's incredibly variable. Yep. It's incredibly challenging. And then you know, you try to push people to other platforms, like, hey, check out my YouTube channel. But making YouTube videos mm-hmm. is very difficult. It is very time consuming. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Whereas making a TikTok is like, OK, I could do that in five minutes, like something that I find interesting, set up my phone, talk into it for a couple of minutes, post. YouTube, it's like you record on your phone. You upload on something else. You have to edit it. You have to do all these things. It can take hours. And, um, you know, if you're working other jobs, it's very difficult to find that motivation constantly uh, to keep making that kind of content. And it's not just TikTok either. Um, I don't know if you've tried to look me up on Instagram, but I've been gone. we uh, were gone for a while. Well, I'm gone again. Um, <laughs>
0: Oh, really? I didn't realize that. That you're gone again.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. That only lasted for two days. I was back for literally two days and then deleted. Wow. So um, I've been gone more than I've been here on Instagram this year. Um, I think that's just a specific person who hates me, which, I mean, little do they know I actually hate Instagram, so it's not a big deal, but... (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's still a huge insult. (laughs) It's still a little frustrating that people just like report you because they don't like you. Um, Like, I don't. Yeah, I don't love that. But yeah, it's it's a constant challenge. But you know, I keep trying to just do what I can using kind of code words instead of my older videos, I would say cannabis instead of cannabis. (laughs) <laughs> um, yes. using like the THC the T is like a little plant like the plant emoji there's different mm-hmm. ways to get around it but it, it is very frustrating because you are you're really like limiting yourself and like decreasing the value of your content but you yes. have to it's like you're forced to do that to be able to um like put a video up and then oftentimes it's still like shadow banned because they know you're talking about drugs you know natural yeah. products anything oh yeah so it's difficult. It's it's
0: <laughs> it's really frustrating that there is absolutely I mean this has been my experience um with all of these social media companies and different ones vary. Like LinkedIn seems to be very open about cannabis content and doesn't seem to police it at all. Um TikTok has been very severe. I tried to start a TikTok channel um back in 2019 or so and I mean very quickly cuz curious about cannabis like I'm screwed from the beginning yeah. because I have cannabis in the name. So Um, every video like it'd be up for a day and then taken down taken down warning 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 I was like well I like this is exhausting um Instagram has been better but I can see trends where my reach and things will plummet for apparently no reason um and like the the style of content things doesn't change um and so there's all sorts of shenanigans going on with social media and trying to get content out there and they don't care whether you're a scientist trying to just spread evidence-based information, whether you're, you know, it it really doesn't matter. It it just comes down to words, which is insane because it's like we have to be able to talk. We have to be able to communicate and and share ideas. There's got to be some nuance there. But um, I also understand what you're saying of, you know, really if anyone wants to target you and report your posts constantly, I mean, that can do a lot of damage and that's really hard to um rectify i mean i don't have you tried to talk to like have you asked instagram like is this based on a like someone reporting me you know no There there or anything like that
1: i recently have got a contact at instagram and i'm trying to ask him like hey is this is this like a specific person who keeps doing this or is it like am i actually doing something that's that bad that i need to be removed from the internet or like right you know can i just get a little bit of feedback here but as you know like research or not like contacting anyone at any of these companies is so, so difficult. And it's a constant challenge. And also, I guess I should probably also finish the first question you asked to just how I ended up at like Real Isolates and smoke yeah, because I tend to not finish answering questions. But um, uh, Dr. Miyabi Shields eventually saw my TikTok videos and like emailed me right as the pandemic was slowing down. And it was like, hey, do you wanna like meet up for for coffee, for whatever in Newport, Rhode Island? Because I was at URI at the time and they were in mm-hmm. the Boston area. So we meet up and we we're supposed to talk about like something very specific. And we just ended up talking about like the unknowns of <laughs> natural products forever, which we yes. love talking about. And just kind of like yeah. nerding out about the very, very niche specifics about about natural products, about cannabis. And eventually they were like, you know, I love for you to come work with me. And that's kind of how that ended. Like we worked together at at smoke All, and it was it was an awesome journey. So yeah, just wanted to finish that before we move on too far.
0: Yeah, thanks for thanks for connecting it back around. That's so cool. I didn't realize that they found you that way. I I had an assumption that you two knew each other before um, all of that. So that's that's really cool to know. I didn't realize that. Um, And so getting into talking about the unknowns and sort of the, uh, you know, the the really interesting frontiers of natural product science, um, where did the focus on cannabis smoke come from? Was that something you had already been thinking about, um, about, you know, the, obviously the chemistry of the smoke has to be different than the plant um, to some degree. Um, so how did those discussions kind of come about? Of like, let's let's start to look into this and really see what we can do with that.
1: Yeah, it was really um, Andy Westerkamp, who is part of the Real Isolates team, mm-hmm. and Miyabi, who started looking into the smoke. And I was looking into CBD degradation products, like, separately at the same time, which is really interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so... Yeah. I'll start with what I was doing because I just know that better from my perspective. But, you know, we were studying the permeability of CBD through the skin and essentially, like, can we calculate the rate that's happening and can we add any surfactants, emulsifiers, et cetera, to increase the permeation of CBD? So I was doing all these experiments, but then I was noticing on the HPLC that, you know, as we leave these compounds out, more and more compounds are created. So I was like, well, that's you know i i had a billion side projects during um grad school cuz i i love side projects and um so i <laughs> i started just taking cbd isolate and putting it into different solvents and just leaving them in the window and just seeing like mm-hmm. analyzing them through time and just seeing what compounds were produced through time and it is pretty amazing like just within I want to say within a week, we had 12 compounds that were of, like, appreciable amounts from that original pure 99.9% pure CBD. So I'm doing this. I'm researching the different, like, quinone compounds that are produced when CBD degrades. And there's, you know, there's studies, peer-reviewed studies about these quinone compounds, how they could potentially be anti-cancer compounds, you know, Essentially, mm-hmm. what are each of these peaks and what could they potentially be good for? Because I think we often immediately associate degradation with like useless. You know, it's like, oh, our, <laughs> right, right. It's uh, that uh,
0: negative connotation. Right.
1: It's like our our pure, perfect molecule has degraded and now it's useless. <laughs> and so at the same time, um, Andy and Miyabi uh, were taking CBD isolate and burning it in on a dab rig or an oven or something and then, analyzing that on HPLC, and they're seeing like you start with one compound and you have about 18 after. So I think both of us at the same time are kind of thinking like, what is what is the chemistry of these degradation products? And if this is just one molecule, what happens to the other hundred different yeah. cannabinoids when they're exposed to heat or light? And what is the pharmacology of these compounds? Because, I mean, that still remains a mystery. I think everyone's looking <laughs> to us to answer these questions. And it's yeah. like, well, we need about 10 million more dollars before we can figure out the pharmacology of all these Super right. rare and minor right. compounds, but like we are also Give me
0: an v- NMR and uh, well
1: exactly and yeah. like and like 10 more people with a very niche specialty mm-hmm. um, But I think what that led to is just some simple survey data, which is like, okay Do you prefer smoking? Do you prefer edibles? Like what is the way you prefer to consume? And you know one of those initial surveys is 80% of people spe- specifically um, medical patients that were surveyed preferred smoking but it's um it's clearly not a, a viable option for a lot of people who are using uh, medical cannabis because if you're already compromised in some way you don't want to introduce right. smoke into your body if you're trying to heal yourself in a you know in a situation a health situation so the idea was can we capture these active compounds that are produced during the smoking process make that into an extract that we can put into products to allow people to feel more similar to what it feels like to be smoking compared to like a traditional edible experience. And of course, it's never gonna be exactly the same. It's not gonna be the same onset time. And your body's still going to metabolize those compounds in ways that we're still not 100% sure of like exactly what's happening. Uh, But we wanted to offer a different option that that felt different for people um, to, to feel similar and to have an option that they didn't have in the past.
0: Oh, right. And I mean, something like my background in the cannabis space was primarily in the early days in the analytical labs. And it was something I always wondered about um, because it was, you know, just thinking about it. It's like I wondered why hasn't anyone tried to make a smoke extract because everyone claims and I mean, I'm a cannabis user. I can attest to this very strongly that, you know, vaping and smoking very, very different effects i 'm um, one of those patients that prefer smoking um, in general i don 't really like vaping it doesn't do the same doesn't have the same effects i 've got spinal cord injuries and things that i 'm um, very specific about and so it 's been on my mind for a long time like why hasn't this been done already and then when I saw real isolates come out and I saw the smoke all products like finally, finally, someone, now I know that there is someone out there thinking along the same lines that has the resources to actually make this happen and get this out there. And you're right, there are a lot of nuances. Um, You have metabolites to wonder about. Um, The effects are going to be a little different. Um, But this is about as close as you can get currently um, without actually smoking. And I mean, and that's the real... Um, takeaway that like this is as close as you can possibly get. And there's always more R&D that can be done, improvements to be made, things to understand. Um, But I I mean, as a patient myself, I was extremely excited to see that this exists and that this kind of product development was happening because um, I had been teaching about the fact, you know, I was like, you're all excited about these terpenes and cannabinoids, but once you heat them up, <laughs> there's a lot of changes that happen. And so, you know, people were trying to predict effects based off of test data, and I had to constantly tell people, like, the data I'm giving you is not enough for you to be able to predict how this is going to affect you, much less someone else, um, for a variety of reasons. And that's that's a big one. Um, so this was, this was really cool for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, uh, a lot of scientists that um, had been... You know kind of in the back of our heads wondering about this for a while and so i'm interested what has been the feedback um from people that have been using it
1: so we make products with hemp so they are cbd mm-hmm. dominant yeah. but they contain the other miners and rares uh it has pretty appreciable right. levels of cbt we see cbe we see cbl these different uh compounds yes. we do take survey data because we're really curious because it's unique uh chemistry it's unique pharmacology yeah, as well yeah. so we do take survey data and it's been really amazing um one of our first surveys with our first 200 customers uh, we asked them a variety of different questions i won't go through all of them but i think the most sure. impactful were you know, do you think this product feels different than other CBD products? And mind you, like 99% of people have tried other CBD products and about 80% said that it did. And about 80% also said that it worked better than these other CBD products. One of the best reviews that I think we ever got was, I think this is what people think CBD should feel like. Because, you know, often yeah, people are yeah, taking CBD and they're yeah. like, I don't feel anything. And it's like, well, you're not really supposed to. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but you know, people do say they feel a noticeable effect from taking our product. And I think that um, encourages them to keep taking it because you have that kind of immediate feedback, kind of, it's, it's not it does not feel similar to a THC product, but when you use a THC yeah. product, you feel it, right? You feel the pharmacology in your body. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that's just something that helps people continue to use the products because they can feel better noticeably. Um, But kind of back to like the technology and what you were talking about being like, why hasn't anyone done this? Um, I think you as a scientist and as an educator, um, you have a good grasp on like smoke and that those are like molecules in the smoke, right? But I think a huge obstacle has been um, communicating this with patients and the public and trying to, you know, tell them what we're doing because it is really cool. But the concept of Capturing active compounds from smoke is a very abstract, like concept in general, especially, you know, a lot of people don't know what a molecule is, and that's totally fine. But, you know, when you're starting there, and then you have to, you know, go into different reactions in your body, different reactions to the smoking, Mm -hmm. um, like, a. the way we describe it to a lot of people who who know about a few different cannabinoids is you know THC partially degrades to CBN when smoked, right, right. Um, but again, that's happening with almost every other compound. So like CBD converts to CBND, but also CBD can convert to CBE, CBC can convert to CBL. You have this kind of really unique suite of compounds that are produced during uh, the heating process. But although uh, we know that the technology is really cool, the product's really cool, the the communication barrier has been the main obstacle uh, with Profound Naturals, the products that we create.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully this discussion will go to some length to help with that. I, You know, it is, it's challenging. We often, especially as scientists, we often overestimate general public scientific literacy. Um, and this isn't a knock on anyone. Um, it's just the way it is. Um, that, is, Particularly in the United States, public scientific literacy is not great. Um, and this goes back to my own rants that I like to have occasionally about public education systems and the role of, uh, of science and communication in general. Um, but people are often starting out at a lower level than we often assume they are. Um, and again, that's not knocking anybody. It's a result of the systems in place as they are right now. Um, so I could see that that it, it is a challenge. Like how do you get someone to appreciate the quality differences um when they're still just trying to understand, um, yeah, what is what is a chemical and and what does it mean for something to even degrade or change? Like, um, and this idea that you had that people often think of degradation as a negative connotation. Why would I want to consume something that's degraded? Um, and recognize it like no, it's just unique. It's transformed. It, uh, transform is a much better word yes. than degrade. Yes then that communicates like it's just changed into something different. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's, it's worse or, you know, it, it's a different tool now for potentially different applications. Um, you mentioned CBND. I want to ask you about this because, you know, back in 2014 or so is when I started teaching about cannabis. And I've been talking about CBND for a long time. Not one person had ever heard of it. You're the first person on the podcast to ever mention that molecule, cannabinoidol. Um there's speculation that it has some mild THC-like effects. Have you encountered that at all?
1: Well, it's it's really hard telling because uh, CBT yeah. is also kind of molecularly similar yes. to yeah. uh, THC. Mm-hmm. So I I think that it I've never tried CBND in isolation. I've tried almost none of the cannabinoids in isolation, because that's just not what I'm interested in. Um, But I think that there is evidence that either both of those molecules or one of those molecules Mm -hmm. is acting... Um, similar to THC, but probably in a much more mild way, or maybe it's just that exactly, it's uh, yeah. in such less quantities in the in the product that it feels like it's in such a less um, like potency kind of a way. But I think CBNDs are really interesting molecule. It's really hard finding standards for it, like at testing labs. Yes, that
0: was. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I tried. They're restricted.
1: Yeah, I mean even. Well, this, this is another thing we struggle with a lot. So, we obviously post our COAs of our products online. We want to be as transparent as possible, possible with our customers. But this is no fault to the testing labs because they need to be high throughput and they need to have consistency. Right. But, you know, we do have these unique compounds in our products and we want to be able to show that to people. Uh, but we're usually limited by the standards that are offered at the testing labs. So,. Mm-hmm. Something like CBND, yeah. like not usually quantified. Um, even CBT, which I mentioned, we have like say, you know, guys. we'll have up to seven percent or something like that in our in our um, distillate or in our products that's
0: that's amazing yeah
1: yes it it is it's interesting um (laughs) but when you run analytical like when you're running an hplc or an Mm -hmm. lcms whatever um cbt comes off the column a lot later than the other cannabinoids so Mm -hmm. typically if we want cbt run as part of our normal testing uh, routine they have to run a unique (laughs) analysis for us that's that has a longer method and it's not that absurd but also we'll see these peaks in the chromatograms that we we mm-hmm. still don't even know what they are but they are very likely a cannabinoid because they're coming off the column at like the same t- retention time um but we're just limited by standards and um that's something i think we're working with a lot of different people to try to uh, help this issue, and I think even looking at different um, analysis and visualization techniques, I think we'll be able to get yeah. to a point where we can uh, really deconvolute exactly the the chemical entities in our product. But you know, as kind of we're talking about before, some of what we believe in is the unknown. There are some unknowns, right. and uh, we don't believe that's a bad thing because I take so many different natural products, I drink so many different teas, and I can guarantee you we don't know all the compounds in those teas and in these tinctures. But you know, I say it came from nature, I trust it, it makes me feel good, I'm going to continue taking it. If it makes me not feel good, I'm going to stop taking it. And that's just kind of the way I go about natural products, which, of course, is not practical for everyone to go about their, you know, their medicine that way of just like, Oh, whatever feels good. Because I mean, if you struggle with something like like debilitating pain, anxiety, migraines, something like that, um, you know, maybe maybe you do need to go to a pharmaceutical to find relief and start to enjoy your life and to be able to have the effort and the time and the energy to start researching other other methods of healing. Um, Nothing's black and white ever. and. Pharmaceutical medications really do make it easy for patients. You know, you go to the doctor and they say, okay, you're struggling with this. I'm going to give you this pill. You take it once or twice a day at this dose and you should feel better in this amount of time, right? But as you know, natural products are so, so, so much more complex. And they're shockingly a lot less accessible to people. Um, You know, like- High quality. High quality and just information on them and just trying to learn like, you know, 60% of pharmaceutical drugs come from natural products, but often that's not really um, translated or like kind of given to the public in a digestible way. It's like, okay, well, what natural products are they from? Can I just take the crude Mm -hmm. extract of the natural products instead of the refined version from the pharmaceutical uh, field? So, I mean, I think that's somewhere natural products needs to um, extend in more. It's just being more accessible for people who want that other option, who don't have the time to read eight books and go on PubMed and start to look at the structure activity relationship of the active compound in that pharmaceutical to the closest natural product. Like, that's not really a feasible option.
0: Although with the way AI is developing, maybe soon, <laughs> maybe I soon so. will be able to to ask you know there's there's some really cool work going on um you know sort of separately um i don't know if you're familiar with the company uh, silera that is in the psychedelic yeah. space i've had them on the podcast before but um you know they've been working on these ai platforms to screen compounds from natural products and things like that and it's exciting to think that eventually that kind of technology could be used to bridge some of these potential gaps that people have um uh, going back to to what you said about the pharmaceuticals being sourced from natural products, that's something that drives me crazy relentlessly because people, the general public, often have a uh, an assumption that pharmaceuticals are synthetic, um, and another assumption that synthetic means not natural. Um, so two convoluted assumptions, um, and and one, you know, synthetic just means it has been synthesized in some way. You have to be specific. What kind of synthesis? because biosynthesis is a synthesis, um, and a lot of these pharmaceuticals, while, yes, they're being synthesized either in bioreactors or, um, you know, chemically in labs, um, they're, they were originally um, discovered and sourced from the plants and um and can still be found there and like you said it's like 60 percent of pharmaceuticals i mean this is a massive amount of drugs that we rely on that all come directly from nature and there's an interesting trend that i'm sure you've noticed in recent years where um pharmaceutical companies themselves are kind of walking backwards a little bit and trying to create blends of natural products um you know, these new um, polypharmaceuticals, as they call them, um, which is a drug of many drugs, which is really what natural products are. All natural products are polypharmaceuticals, if you think about it. Um, It's it's a lot of um, interesting dynamics, and I think that a lot of companies sometimes prey on that ignorance that the general public has, you know, about those things. that They've become so disconnected. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe one day there will be systems in place where someone can say, okay, I, you know, I need to understand, um, you know, what potential medicinal plants or diet changes or lifestyle changes will impact this condition, you know, in meaningful ways. And it can say, yeah, maybe you should do what everyone's been telling you in the first place. Eat better, move more, meditate. Like, I I am so glad uh, you brought
1: that up because it really like, you know, I I often describe like natural products as a lifestyle and like oftentimes you don't even want to put something in your body unless you have to. So you do have to look at your lifestyle. And so, as you know, I've recently been struggling with more and more migraines. So I'm trying to figure out like, what can I do about this? So, you know, I go to the doctor. And she immediately writes me a prescription. And I'm like, oh, like, no, I'm not comfortable with that now. Like, I'd rather wait and see if I can, you know, figure out other things. And if nothing else works, like, yes, I'll, I'll try that medication. So I asked to get some blood work done. And what the blood work showed was that my vitamin D levels were extremely, extremely low. And so um, if anyone knows about vitamin D, essentially um, your brain uses like tryptophan and there's there's an enzyme, I think it's called tryptophan hydrolase 2, and that enzyme requires vitamin D to convert tryptophan into serotonin which um a lot of migraines are a result of, like of a lack of serotonin or some t- yeah
0: controlling exactly blood vessel dilation and constriction Yeah,
1: exactly so I was like well that's interesting so I immediately started taking uh, more and more vitamin D I don't know if this has worked yet but I'm also trying some other natural products for like if I acutely get a migraine and I need to immediately mm-hmm. um, solve that so uh, a plant that I've recently tried the root of what they call devil's claw it's only called devil's claw because it looks yeah. like so it's an African plant um, that I just purchased some of, but um, you know the molecular structure of the active compound in that plant kind of resembles the tryptan molecules that are used for um, migraines. Mm. So I had a terrible migraine yesterday, and I tried to make some tea out of that, and you know I don't know if it was because I was on hour six of my migraine and it was already going away, but <laughs> after I drank the tea, I was like, I feel a lot better. Um, And what's really interesting is the more you look into that plant, Devil's Claw, uh, there's a compound, I think it's called Harpagoside. And the studies with that active compound show that when it's in isolation, it does not work as well as a like less refined extract, whether it's a fraction or a crude, but the pure compound, which they thought was responsible for most of the activity uh, was not fully responsible. So it has to be some synergy within that plant. They haven't found one single compound. And I think that's where the beauty of natural products is. I think it's often not just one compound, but the pharmaceutical view of it is to isolate the most active compound from that plant and try to make that into a drug and try to make it even more potent. Um, Where I think there's some beauty in having a diversity of compounds that are less potent. So you have less adverse effects. And then you have, as you mentioned, kind of this polypharmacology happening. um, And in my opinion, can lead to greater benefits for whatever condition that you're looking for. But again, that's a lot of effort to go through, um, you know, to try to better your health. And a lot of people don't have the time and they don't have the resources and they need immediate relief. So it's really, you gotta do whatever's best for you and whatever's best for your lifestyle and what's most accessible to you. Um, And, you know, you can always take it step by step, you know, start with a pharmaceutical if that's what you're comfortable with and then start researching other things. Um, But yeah, you have to do whatever's best for you. Absolutely. And I think
0: something that is often underappreciated is access to some of these tools can be a privilege. I mean, um, not everybody has access to either certain plants or pharmaceuticals. You know, it can go either way. Yeah. And one thing that sometimes bothers me with educators that focus on health education is they'll say well everybody needs to be doing this and this and this and this it's like that all is great and yes in an ideal world yes but everyone is dealing with the whatever limitations they have in this world in their situation um and so i'm glad you said that um because it is very individualized um both on a physiological level, but also like a socioeconomic level too. That I mean, not everybody, um, you know, has access to all of these tools or the same quality of tools. Um, one thing that I would love to see more of is just um, more appreciation for the quality of these herbs. You know, there's the natural products industry is huge. And with all of the the fraud and issues in the cannabis industry, we see the same stuff everywhere else in the natural products industry um, at least with cannabis, you don't have to worry so much about identity fraud. I mean, we at least know it's cannabis, uh, whereas in natural products broadly, you even you really have to worry about is this ground-up plant material that has been mailed to me, is that actually... What did they say it is? Dude, par-
1: part of what I worked on um, in grad school was also working with the FDA to look at a- adulteration of supplements um, within the natural product oh, nice. industry. Yes. So, you know, we were working on a genetic repository, essentially, if somebody gets sick from taking some sort of supplement, they go to Walmart, they buy a supplement, they take it, they get sick. That supplement is sent to the FDA. where FDA, where they can um, do genetic analysis on it and figure out if it's one single plant, if it's what it's supposed to be, if there's another plant in there. And, um, you know, so part of what I was doing was helping with that. But what, as you're saying, the issue is you could have like, a field of a certain medicinal plant. Um, I don't know, pick pick your poison, any medicinal. Echinacea. Plant. sure, echinacea. And there could be like, one plant in the Solanaceae family that produces these tropane alkaloids, right? So you could be harvesting that whole field and accidentally harvest a couple of these pretty dangerous plants. Grind it all up and a couple of those pills are gonna have a, a bit more than the other ones. People are gonna take that and they're gonna get sick. So it does happen. It's really not regulated that well. I mean, how could you regulate that? It would be so much effort. Um, But they're trying to at least get a way of immediately identifying when something like that happens so that they can remove all those from the shelf and then um, Protect the people that are trying to help themselves and also what you're kind of talking about With the the many many barriers of both pharmaceuticals and natural products Mm -hmm. Um, You know the educational barrier is a huge one, because even if, if I Google what what plant is good for a headache and I find one, no, yeah. you know, and I get I get a bag of roots ground up in the mail. Uh, well, then what do I extract it in alcohol? Do I extract it in water? What's the dose? How much should I be taking? What time of the day should I be taking it? I mean, there's. So many different factors. And as I mentioned before, I think one of the biggest limitations is always time it takes a lot of time to research, yeah, takes yeah. a lot of time to make those products, takes a lot of time to learn what products work best for you. And if you are already struggling with something that is very time sensitive, you can't be doing that, that it's just not practical.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's a shame that <clears throat> as a culture, um, herbalists have, uh, not they don't have as much respect as they used to have um and it used to be a situation where most communities would have a noted herbalist which they were i mean that's early pharmacists were herbalists and um so you kind of had the community person to go to um to ask these questions to get that feedback very quick but now you know medical doctors are not trained in pharmacognosy like it's it's a uh, it's a they're they're separated Pharmaceutical science, pharmacognosy, even in, in higher learning and everything, they're treated as very separate things, very separate schools, uh, usually, and um, the schools of thought are different, and um, there's not cross-training that happens unless the physician goes out of their way to get that cross-training. Um, and so it's, it's a shame that, you know, that sort of community point of reference has really been eroded Uh, when it comes to natural products and, and herbal medicine. Um, And maybe we're seeing kind of the rebuilding of that with educators, you know, using, utilizing the internet to try to establish those points of connection again. Um, But, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people have not thought about. Like you don't have your neighborhood, I mean, some of us do, I guess, but um, in general, we don't have our neighborhood um, herbalist to go, you know, chat with and, and you know, just tell me real quick, like, what tea do I need? How do I need to make it? You know, um, I have a buddy of mine, Travis, who has been featured on the podcast before, who went to Year, a huge herbalist guy. And so he's my go to, like, anytime there's a situation like, dude, just tell me quick strokes, like, what, what do I need to be thinking about? Um, but everybody really um, needs access to that, that kind of understanding, like not just raw data, like you can get in a Google search, but you know, a mind behind that information to conceptualize it, to contextualize it um, in a way that makes sense, that's digestible for people um, really quickly. And I don't know, maybe that's the you know sort of the roles we're starting to play. But it's, um, I hope that's something people will think more about. You know, we we go to the doctor to try to to um, get help with all these chronic conditions and everything. But if you are trying to take a different route, who do you go to? Who do you trust? How do you evaluate? the sources of that information, I think that's a huge thing is natural products is such a big industry and there's so much money wrapped up in it, just like everything else, that you do have to be skeptical of the sources of education. What companies are they connected to? What are their biases? um, What are their inherent motivations? Um, And so even with those points of contact is still um, right now so complicated for people.
1: It it is very, very complicated. And as you say, like, it is uh, very difficult to find a herbalist that is uh, trained well and also can take in these other nuances of life that we've also been talking about, whether it's your diet, your environment, the people that you hang out with. I mean, all of these things contribute to your health. And also, I mean, so when I was in grad school, uh, getting my degree in pharmaceutical sciences, but specializing in natural product chemistry. I was pretty much the only one who actually used natural products too, um, which was super, yeah, super yeah. surprising yeah. to me. Like I would, you know, come in being like, I made elderberry syrup for everyone. And they're like, oh, I'm not taking that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like Weirdo. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I worked really hard on this. Like I thought you would enjoy this gift. Of all people, like surely this would be the crew
0: that would appreciate it.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, that's like also my, big, my biggest pet peeve is like when you spend the time making like these awesome things for people and they just don't appreciate them. But that's okay. You just you learn. Um, But yeah, I mean, we need more qualified herbalists for sure. And there are different platforms online where people are kind of Mm -hmm. learning uh, the different herbalist techniques and the different ways to learn about herbs. But uh, realistically, you really do need that hands on experience, at least partly at yeah. some point, you know, even if it's growing uh, a few herbs in your garden and starting to understand even just like the aromas, how even how even the smells make you feel. Um, yeah, yeah the, the essential oils, there's, there's so many different ways to learn about it. And it's, I think, again, I keep talking about time, but a huge barrier is it takes a really long time yeah. to learn about all these different herbs. Uh, it is not quick. And you really do need a grasp of pharmacology and chemistry um, to be an herbalist. And I think that's kind of what you talked about in the beginning where cannabis can be a really, really good introduction because you can feel those molecules working in your body and you can really start to understand how different strains are affecting you in different ways, those molecules are making you feel different ways, the different consumption methods, why is that making you feel different? And that is a great introduction because a lot of other herbs are going to be similar in that, in the sense that, you know, the consumption method absolutely matters, the dose matters, sometimes you can feel them working in your body and you know, not everyone should self-experiment. Um, really, not if you don't have a good grasp of it, uh, because yeah. all you know, natural products can be dangerous, especially if the dose yeah. is incorrect. Even if it's a crude extract, a lot of times I talk about yeah. crude extracts being a lot safer than isolated compounds, and just because the potency is is different, right. but that's not the case for all of them. Yeah, it just depends. Yeah. And don't don't consume a digitalis no, like... extract. Well, exactly right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there's just, there's so many nuances, so many details there's, but there are resources out there if you want to learn. And I'm sure there's a lot of herbalists out there that would love to have somebody like learning with them, somebody to teach somebody to hand down that knowledge Mm -hmm. to, if you uh, reach out to the right people.
0: Well, and you're, you're kind of touching on the role of, um, there's several things that pop into my mind here, you know, um, prior to 19 the 1930s or so 1920s or you know around that time a lot of herbal knowledge was kind of um passed down in families as well you know like as you grew up you learned what these plants were around you how they were utilized in foods medicines and things like that and so you had a essentially a lifetime to build a, an experiential association with these plants then that you know, over, you know, just the path of industrialization, we've come very disconnected. And so now folks in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, are coming at this realizing, like, I don't know anything, like, I haven't been taught anything um, about any of this. So there's no framework to build upon. And I, um, I hope, to see that change culturally. I mean, you know, we need to be better connected to what I call our, our wild neighbors. Um, you know, we really need to reestablish that connection because then a lot of these issues become a little less overwhelming. Um, and I also think you touched on, you know, the, the fact that a lot of people in these programs studying natural products are not actually using natural products. I, you know, I, I relate this to the the difference between theoretical and experiential learning. Like you, in order to become a well-rounded individual, you have to marry those two things uh, to some degree. Like if you're specializing in studying something, you've, in some way, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to consume all of these things, but you, you should be touching these plants at some point. You should be experimenting with making products at some point um, to just, learn the things that only come out when you're experiencing them you know it's hard to like even put words on it but there are things that click when you've been studying something and then you're working with a plant that may not have ever clicked um before um and again something that's very kind of underappreciated there's sort of a mentality these days that um you can get it all from a book or from google and um yeah, there's just, just always those gaps. And I, I wanted to make sure to use this because I know we're getting limited on time. This has gone by really, really fast. Hey, great. Um, but I wanted to make sure to touch on, um, as we're talking about all these other natural products, what are some of your favorite natural products beyond cannabis? Because I always love to learn that about folks that are, that are really into this stuff.
1: Yeah, my like number one favorite that I take every single day is chaga, Ananatis obliquus. I actually recently made a video Mm -hmm. about it, and part of that is like I live in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. There's chaga all around me, and as you said, like I really do believe in using the things around me um, as much as possible. And for any people that are interested in getting into natural products, I would highly recommend looking at the plants that naturally grow around you first. It's a very accessible option to get into. Um, You know, herbalism, natural products. You don't even need to grow them in a garden. You can go out and forage on uh, public land for these different um, things. So, um, yeah, so chaga is probably my favorite. And that's another product that I really enjoy because I can feel it working in my body. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I take chaga every single day. And if I don't take it for a few days, I notice differences in my body. Um, And I think if you've ever taken chaga, I mean, the extract is black. I mean, it is so cool. It is so rich. It's so dark. And It's one of the best natural sources of antioxidants. It has some really interesting steroid molecules that can be great for anti-inflammatory benefits. Has these um, fungi in general have these uniquely linked sugars that when you're right. digesting them in your body, your body kind of recognizes that hey, we don't make those sugars and plants don't make those sugars. So what are these? So it kind of just activates your immune system to being on its toes to being like, okay, we have something foreign in here, but it can still break it down yeah. eventually, but you're still kind of keeping your system on its toes by introducing that that foreign uh, sugar molecule and and having your body just have to break that down in different ways than it's used to seeing sugar molecules from from plants. Um, so yeah i mean that's probably my number one favorite i do like echinacea but i think i mostly just like the flower from echinacea uh, the best <laughs> but so i studied the medicinal plant garden at the university of rhode island and then when i was leaving the master gardener there gave me like a bunch of medicinal plants so now i grow i have my own medicinal plant garden uh nice, at good, my house yeah. um so i have like i have a pretty wide variety of different uh plants but honestly some of my favorites are plants that are used all the time, like spearmint, like it's just rosemary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think rosemary yeah. is one of the best antibacterial compounds. Yes. I
0: love rosemary, yeah.
1: When I was doing, um, I was I was looking for like essentially new antibiotic compounds from plants, from the medicinal plant um, extract library. And uh, rosemary, almost every test we did, rosemary just like came, mm-hmm. came at the top. And I'm like, that is amazing. I have a whole new view of this plant. Um, because of these assays that I was running in grad school. It, it really is kind of a cure-all. And you'll see it referred to as like a cure-all in these yeah. different uh, textbooks. But it's cool, as we were talking about, to do that hands-on work and to see that it is true, even with modern techniques. And you know, we were talking about gaining a certain sense of knowledge by e- extracting plants or growing plants or just using your hands with these different natural products. I talk about it a lot on TikTok and these other channels is I, I think that's kind of a form of forced intention. If you are the one making those products, you're, you're allocating time and energy, you're doing your research, you're <clears throat> taking the effort to make your medicine. And during that process, whether you know it or not, you are thinking about it, you're thinking about why you're using yeah, that product, yep. why you're extracting that product, what you're extracting out of that product. And I mean, I'm a very spiritual person, but um, spirituality has implications in science too. It's been shown to be a predictive variable in the placebo response. So people who are spiritual tend to do better on things, even if it is placebo, because they believe that that product is working for them. And the belief alone, the spirituality, the faith in the unknown um, can have measurable outcomes. And I think that's just another really important part about making your own medicine. Even if you mess up, even if you mess up, like you're still taking the time to do it. You're still still learning and you won't mess up again, or at least not in the close future. Not in the same way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, in the same way. <laughs> exactly. Well it's I mean
0: it's it's true. And there's a there's a book I'll plug that I read a long time ago that I loved that that kind of touches on some of the science um behind belief and neuroplasticity and stuff like that. But I think it's just called The Mind and the Brain by Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, um out of I think he's out of UCLA. Um really, really great book. But uh anyone, you know, wanting to to specifically dive into some of the science behind belief and how it affects, um, the brain and physiology. It is something that is understudied, underappreciated. Again, placebo has like a negative connotation. Um, and this is actually something in my interview with Dr. A.D. Ray in the last episode, we, we talked about placebo as well. So it's funny it's coming up again. Um, but I think it's something people need to think about more. Um, Uh, you know, placebo, unrightfully so, has a a negative connotation, and and belief absolutely does impact pharmacology in in ways we do not understand very well. Um, We know that the endocannabinoid system, for instance, is tied into how the pain placebo response works, um, which makes studying cannabinoids and pain a little challenging uh, when you're trying to separate placebos when the system you're trying to test generates that effect. But... um, you know, it's, uh, it's important for people to um, take note of um, that, that, that kind of stuff does matter. And I wanted to ask you too on the rosemary um, piece, have you ever been in a room where rosemary has been extracted with um, in a supercritical fluid extractor?
1: No, I haven't. Does it smell amazing? Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes.
0: Yes, it does. Um, You know, and it's, it's unique versus if you're tincturing and doing other things, because Um, you don't have the smells of the alcohols or other solvents blending in. And, oh my gosh, I was part of a a research experiment in one of the last companies I worked for. We, um, were examining rosemary and, um, particularly different components of the extracts. And, oh, I loved it. I loved it when they were, when they were doing runs, um, for rosemary and I'm really glad you brought up that plant because that's one that I've always grown I've always been attracted to rosemary I've always had it around I've got it on my deck right now it's my best you know uh plant that I have out there and it's a very um resinous plant um it's one my daughter loves to to go out there and grab rosemary and smell it she'll bring it to me and tell me to eat it which I do happily and (laughs) um it's it's one that when I ask people about medicinal plants, they like no one talks about rosemary other than in the context of like uh, pleasant aromas and stuff. Um, but there is some strong medicinal value. And this also ties into I think some of your prior work. Cause in some of your prior research on antibiotic resistance and that sort of thing. Um so that's I think that's that's really cool that you shed light um on that plant. Cause I think a lot more people need to know. That rosemary is is quite interesting medicinally, and it grows really well. I mean, there are different varieties, um, but it grows really well almost everywhere. You, you um, can grow,
1: like, rosemary trees. Like, those things get yeah, huge. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, again, like, I loved doing antibiotic uh, work because a lot of times you're, like, you know, you have these... Agar plates essentially with bacteria mm-hmm. on the top you put your plant extract on a little disk and then you put that on top of the lawn of bacteria, you come back the next day, <laughs> and anything visual is amazing in the lab it's just like yeah. immediately gratifying yeah. rather than working with like a clear liquid that you put another clear w- liquid in and you mix and then I see the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it's just so cool to immediately, with your eyes, compare the potency of these different extracts against these certain bacterial strains. So like um, rosemary was very effective against um, MRSA, like Staph aureus, yeah. um, which was really interesting. We had, a, we had a pretty substantial amount of different uh, plant extracts that were active against these, um, these different bacteria. And it just makes you think. Like, could we just give people a rosemary cream? Like, would would that actually right. um, solve the issue? And what we know about that, too, is that when we have complex extracts that have all these diversity of different compounds, um, the bacteria develop resistance a lot slower compared to a pure compound. Because the pure yeah, compound yeah. is going to work in the same way every single time. Um, well. Yeah, essentially to fight against that bacteria. So there's like a variety of different ways that that can happen. But when you have, you know, hundreds of different molecules in that plant extract that might work in slightly different ways, the bacteria doesn't know how to adapt to that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know how to mutate in a way that's not susceptible to all those different things. So you have, you get a lot more time because it needs to like one by one essentially mutate and be able to, um, continue growing in the presence of these plant compounds. So I just the entire time and, and you you very early in this conversation kind of brought up these these new pharmaceutical treatments that have these different active ingredients. And, you know, I was thinking about that the whole time, like, could we even add this as like a adjunct therapy with something else that prevents the resistance from happening uh, just to essentially confuse the bacteria? And I I think we will see more and more of that. I know people are working on that, and I think that's a great place for for like non-refined natural products within the pharmaceutical industry. And it's something that I think could really advance the industry in very positive ways.
0: I, I I totally agree. I think um there is a pathway to getting these natural products and and particularly their extracts, because the extracts, you know, they can be standardized to some degree. So that makes it easier to um get them through than than just raw herbs. Um, but there I think there's a solid place for them in the medical food category, at least in the United States and the way that things are handled here. There are other countries where this is not that big of a problem. Um, but in the United States particularly, um, there is a medical food category where a lot of these things, I mean, ginkgo is a, a very common example, um, that I frequently refer to, you know, there's, there are standardized ginkgo extracts that you can be prescribed, um, that are, you know, d- very, um, chemically diverse extracts, um, they have been standardized, um, to a certain potency for certain compounds, but they do still represent, you know, um, the other chemistry that is in the plant. So there, there's a path. And then it's like, how do you get these extracts and things used to actually treat real conditions? I think the adjunct therapy approach is exactly the way, like I said, at least in the United States, right. um, to get these things integrated into our healthcare systems in a more um, meaningful way. Um, at least that's my hope. That's my optimistic view of where I could you know, see things going uh, to get to a to a better place. Um, But still a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just while we're on the topic of, you know, chemical diversity and diversity in general, like, I think one of the best things that you can do to maintain good health and to maintain like resiliency in your body is to eat a diverse diet and, you know, as you know, simpler, yeah. the better, in my opinion. But again, that depends on what you have available to you. But, you know, trying out if you start to learn to forage and, you know, trying out these different fungi, trying out these different plants, even in the grocery store, try a vegetable you haven't tried, yeah. you know, try these different things, really diversifying your diet can keep your body on its toes. And and maybe you're providing yeah. something that you don't even know your body needs, but you've never provided it before. And you can have these kind of advances in your health in ways that you didn't even think you needed because you're just expanding your diet and trying different things.
0: Yeah, get the rainbow carrots rather than the boring orange carrots all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Change up your, uh, you know, your your flavonoid exposure and things, if nothing else. And I, you know, I was going to point out too this this interaction with bacteria and complex chemistry. Evolutionarily, this makes perfect sense. Like this, the the reason that, that this is, is the way it is is because, you know, these microorganisms and plants have been battling for ages um, for survival. And so it's one reason why plants produce such complex chemistry is that helps them persist and survive. And um, in the same way that our bodies have many, many different routes to the same ends, um, and the endocannabinoid system is a great example of that. Like, you know, we often talk about like fa as being this anandamide enzyme, but it's like, no, fa is a very broad enzyme that breaks down a lot of things, including 2-AG to a small degree. And um, there are a lot of generalized enzymes and compounds and things in our bodies that allow things to go in multiple chemical directions um, so that we have that flexibility, that plasticity um, redundancy and so yes exactly redundancies and so all of this sort of reminds us these sort of discoveries are really uh, a sort of uh, remembering what nature has been doing all along um and so i think it, i think it's important to have that perspective that's like this all seems novel and cool but also it it's just it nature it makes sense this is just the way things have played out evolutionarily
1: yeah, I mean, when we think we look at nicotine from the tobacco plant, we look right. at THC from, or THCA, you know, from the cannabis plant, there's many different plants that produce these molecules that are very similar to the compounds that are produced by our own bodies. And I think a lot of people are like, Oh, like the plant, like we were meant to get high. And it's like, well, <laughs> Not really, like <laughs> that's a common question
0: I get, yeah <laughs> no it
1: is, but I mean yep. r- realistically it's it really all started with insects versus plants, like insects were the reason mm-hmm. those plants needed to produce those compounds, and we're not that far away from insects. The difference is yeah. when an insect is introduced to nicotine, it dies when we're introduced mm-hmm. to nicotine at you know a different level, but still it stimulates us because yeah. it's still working in a similar way, but it's just we're such different organisms that we we find pleasure when they find pain you know and and really all those those early adaptations by plants were really against insects for the for the like um the active molecules in our brain and then as as we're talking about as well like fighting against bacteria fighting against pathogenic fungi like they're going to produce all these really unique molecules plants are I mean, they are the best organic chemists in the world. They produce such yeah. interesting molecules, and frankly, we've only tapped the surface because still, like, oh yeah, the, even even the plants we've it's studied like 1%, in the past. I think. Yeah. And even the plants we've studied in the past, you know, we've done it in such a reductionist way, as we kind of talked yeah, about, yep. that we really only focused on the most potent. So what about all the other ones? And what about all the other yeah. targets that they could potentially be acting on? We're really only looking at one molecule and one target when we have hundreds of molecules and hundreds of targets. <laughs> so it's still like the faith in the unknown. It's, it's awesome. I think there's, Exactly. People think that this field is pretty far along. I think we're just in the very early stages of discovery and we have new tools. We have all these different omics platforms now to visualize things in like a greater scope. And I think, I think the research is going to be really cool in the next decade.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. We are, um, it's better to think of our progress on almost a geological timescale uh, than sort of a lifetime timescale, which is, you know, generally how we look at it. And, you know, I talked to um, Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo uh, a couple years ago or something. We were talking about the endocannabinoid, om- you know, talking about omics. And, um, you know, he was sort of joking, not joking. You know, he's like, it's going to take so many lifetimes um, before we really start to piece together how cannabis is... is really influencing a lot of these systems in a very direct, you know, uh, way where we can then take that information and make really, really confident, meaningful predictions of what's going to happen on a, um, not on a uh, sort of grand, like, how is this going to affect a medical condition, but on a molecular level of like, what is going on? And what can we draw from that to better use these tools and things? You know, he he really laughed. He's like, I've done what I've done in my lifetime. And I mean, anyone who's familiar with DeMarzo's work, he's done a lot. Um, but, you know, he's like, it's going to take so many more scientists and so many more lifetimes. Um, and anyone who thinks that we know a lot um, just hasn't studied it enough to realize how little we actually know. Um, and that should be ex- some people get kind of, uh, discouraged by that. I really try to point out that, like, no, that's a really exciting thing. Like, this is the frontier. You're seeing the frontier, and it's not always common that you can see the frontier ahead of you, and so to be able to articulate that and recognize it, um, it just means we're in a very exciting time, and, um, it also presents a lot of opportunity for, especially for younger scientists that are just starting to get into these programs and wrestle with these ideas. It's like you have so much really low hanging fruit of research available to you. If you have the right perspective, um, I love that that perspective. Sorry, perspective (laughs) has to come beyond the reductionist, uh, you know, tropes that, that have been ingrained since the sixties or so.
1: Yeah, the perspective is so important. And like creativity, too. And it, it can yes, feel yeah. like when you're in grad school, or even when you're in undergrad, or even when you're in high school, or, you know, wherever you are in life, um, you, it can feel like you kind of are funneled into something that is yep. super niche. But if you have a good idea, write it down, research it. And if it's something you really, really wanna study, like there are ways to get funding for really good ideas that you have. And like having a creative mind, I think is like the best skill that a researcher can have is looking outside the box. And it's really not something that can be taught. Like you need to teach yourself by encouraging Mm -hmm. yourself to pursue these unique ideas because one of them will land like eventually. I mean, like, A lot of the great discoveries have been just kind of these random thoughts. Maybe you think of them in the middle of the night and you write it down in your notebook or something. And then the next day you go back and you're like, oh, I think that has some legs to it. And you got to you got to believe in yourself and you got to pursue things. And I think, as you said, there's so much untapped potential. And the young people, especially like definitely pursue your gut feeling. If you think something's interesting and there's no research on it and you have a pathway to pursue that, go for it.
0: Yep. It's, you know, a lot of times what it boils down to, and this ties back into our early conversation on science communication, is how do you get people to see the value um, that you see? Um, and once you can do that, a lot of doors open up. And sometimes that's the, uh, the hardest part. And, you know, I always also try to tell people, especially if I'm talking to a younger crowd at a college or something, it's not necessarily about the answers you discover. But it's about the better questions you learn to ask, because it's those questions that push you in a direction, not necessarily the answers that you get. Um, and you know that I think that that creativity piece—that's one reason why that's so important. Because if you can exercise your creativity, you will ask better questions, and by asking better questions, that will take you into interesting directions that people maybe haven't gone to before. Or haven't spent much time and, and then the other other side that I want to highlight to what you just said, believing in yourself. Someone will do it. Why can't it be you? Um it's just a matter of doing it, making it happen. Um and I think a lot of people feel like things are beyond their reach or that people they see that are accomplishing things must have some traits or resources or things they don't have and sometimes that's true but more often than not they're just regular people that just chose to pursue what they were interested in and they did it long enough and creatively enough that they made it work and you can too
1: and um you know exercising that part of your brain like having hobbies outside of science too, especially Mm -hmm. if you are a scientist, like Mm -hmm. you're clearly a musician, which is amazing. (laughs) You know, I, I do a (laughs) lot of different arts. Like I work with my hands a lot. I create a lot of things. I have an outlet for that creativity. And I always found that helpful in graduate school, not only as having like an escape, but having a different way to exercise your brain. If you're, if you're always doing the same thing and kind of thinking on the same pathways, your, your brain's going to be very good at those pathways, but not very good at the other pathways. You want to you want to really exercise the different parts of your brain as much as you can. And it really can change your outlook and also just give you a different means of releasing energy and and showing showing yourself what you have to offer, what you can what you can create, what your brain is capable of doing. And I thought of some of my like best ideas while I was just like painting in grad school. And I, was yeah, like, yeah. and I was like, Oh, my God, that is so cool. And then I would just write it down somewhere else, finish my painting, go in the next day, like super motivated, super excited, because I gave my brain a break. And it resulted in yep. something impactful.
0: Your neurons went in different directions than the same thought loops that they were rutted in. Um, yeah, absolutely. I find the same thing. Yeah, I definitely make music, I paint, um, I write poetry. Um, It's something I take very seriously. Um, And some of the best scientists I have met feel the exact same way and will tell you the exact same thing. Like, no, I'm not in the lab all the time. Like, what? No, (laughs) like, I've got to engage in other things and, um, you know, get out and talk to people, leave the lab and experience things. And that's usually when the ideas come, when you're not sitting there digging the same rut in your brain um, over and over and over again over the problem. It's why people say sleep on it, you know, it's like give up on this problem for today. Go to sleep. Come back at it tomorrow and your, maybe your neurons will go in a different direction. You'll see things slightly differently and get different ideas. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because it's a really important thing for me as well, the recognition of the role of creativity in science. And I think a lot of times people, and I promise I'm wrapping up, I think a lot of people assume scientists are not creative. There's like a weird uh, disconnect. It's like, well, scientists are logical, analytical, and you know, and then the the artists are this or that. And I'm like, ah, oh, these are all bullshit labels that we like <laughs> box people into that d- makes no sense at all. Like, we are all everything, and you just do you. Follow you know what makes sense to you, and. Um, you can be a scientist and be creative and, you know, do this and do that, whatever. It, you don't have to think so narrowly. And in fact, you'll probably be more successful if you don't.
1: Yeah, I saw the most successful people and the most mentally healthy people that were um, in my cohort of grad school had other other hobbies, other things that they did other than just being in the lab. A lot of people who just stayed in the lab and were like, I have to be here like 24 seven. You know, your your brain, your body, like that's not good for you. (laughs) That is not good for you to just constantly be in this like bright white room, just pipetting (laughs) and just reading and just trying to figure things out all day. And Talking to a diversity of people from different backgrounds, too. Like, don't just talk to your science friends. Talk to people who have no idea what you're doing in grad school and just get get different perspectives from them. They'll ask
0: you really interesting questions that you had not thought
1: of. Or they'll make you understand that you don't even know what you're talking about and that you...
0: Exactly. You're like, (laughs) wait, I'm trying to explain this. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, it's it's all
1: valuable. And just, again, that's diversity. Like, you just... Whatever you can do to diversify your life, it's going to it's going to be good for you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know we've gone almost an hour and a half, so well over what I planned. So I'll go ahead and, and get things wrapped up. But usually as I try to end the episodes, I like to hand off the platform to our guests. So um, let everybody know how to learn more about about you, about real isolates and smoke and all and just all the stuff, um, whatever you want to plug. Um, this is your time to totally
1: Yeah, so online, uh, my username is cannabachem. And I post mainly on TikTok. um, Because again, it's easy. Um, I'm currently kicked off Instagram. But if they let me back on, uh, same name, I have cannabachem too. uh, But that's not really fun anyway um youtube i'm also canada cam if you want to follow our company we have a instagram under the name smoke and all and then we have our product page where we make hemp smoke extracts that is under profound naturals and if you want to learn more about real isolates in general that's kind of just the parent company but you can go to real uh to learn more about that and yeah and we also do have a podcast as well called smoking say if you didn't say it yeah yep. uh so yeah it's called smoking and science. And uh, we post not very regularly, but it's a good time podcasts are just a great time. And again, thank you so much for having me on here. It was awesome to talk to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I figured, like I said, with our overlapping interests, I figured this conversation would be interesting. And uh, yeah, definitely was. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that everyone listening, um, you know, we hit some really big um, concepts in this conversation. Um, like Very transcendent concepts that I hope um, people, uh, I hope it resonates with people and makes them think uh, really critically about um, all these things healthcare, science, creativity, um, all of these things. Um, Because, uh, like we said, education, all of this, it it has a bigger role than just sharing things we think are neat. um, But we actually believe that this can help positively impact the world help reduce um, any negative side effects of uh, people engaging natural products and things. The more you know, the better you interact with these things. I mean, there's a there's a lot to this. So I hope that this has been valuable and, and interesting. And yeah, definitely check out Smoking Science. I've enjoyed it. I, um, I look forward to, to seeing more come out of that. Um, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you back on Instagram again um, that's hilarious. I had no idea you got banned again. So that means I caught you when I sent you that message when you came back. I caught you just in that little two-day window. Yeah, I,
1: I was that's literally so back for t- and I was I was literally like, Yay, I'm back. Blah, blah. And then yeah. whoever keeps reporting, we definitely saw me like celebrating. It was like, bye. And <laughs> a report if you can. And uh, yeah, if
0: we if we do another episode, we'll have to talk um at length at some point about um some of the interesting responses one gets to sharing scientific information about cannabis, because I'm sure you have run into similar issues that I've run into. Uh there are certain topics that really press people's buttons. Um and there are a lot of emotional um connections that people have with ideas um that once they're challenged, they get really upset. And um it's not the majority of people, but Geez, the ones that do get upset. Um, I've gotten some weird emails and threats and all sorts of
1: yeah. craziness over I mean, the years. Uh, I, I don't think I've had a single video that didn't make someone upset. Like like that's the internet yeah. though. You know, it's it's always user yeah, four, the, five, seven, the nine. The trolls two. always come out. Yeah, it's in there like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just hate commenting like crazy. And, and on TikTok, I just, one, I don't always read all the comments because I don't yeah. want to introduce that negativity to my life. <laughs> but I also just block people, just. I'd just yeah. hammer on that button, like I don't, don't care hesitate. at all. Yeah, yeah. If you're on my page, like harassing me, like I don't think that's rational for me to keep you around. So, yep. you know, you control yeah. your environment there, and if I have control I over exactly it, right. I will delete you. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have on our uh, Discord server. I have a nice um, gift that will play when I ban people it shows Thor bringing the hammer down. And I've only had to use it a few times, but it's hilarious when I get to. I actually it is, look it's forward fun. to it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway with that being said uh if you want to learn more about curious about cannabis i think you probably know where to find us but we're on facebook instagram twitter linkedin and youtube um for the reasons we just discussed i do not enable comments on my youtube videos for that very reason um which affects my reach and all sorts of other things but we are on on there um and thanks so much for listening all the way through this episode. I appreciate all of you, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the next episode. So, thanks so much, everybody. Thanks so much, Dr. Kirk, for being here, and uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Stay curious, everybody, and take it easy. Bye bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me then get connected to the curious about cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together visit cacpodcast.com connect to join our learning community on our discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways dive into the latest cannabis research connect with certified curious about cannabis educators hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more best of all it's totally free Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more. Or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.